Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Projections. Nothing personal. Word of the day is projections. What a great word. Project. I do that all the time. I. That's what happens when you say to someone, aren't you cold? Aren't you scared? What you're really doing is projecting how you feel onto them, trying to have the comfort of numbers. Yes, I'm cold. Aren't you cold? I'm cold. We're both cold. Now we're both cold. We can talk about being cold. This is scary. You got to be scared right now. We're all scared. We can hold each other snuggle and try to be less scared. God, wasn't that sad? I'm projecting a projector. That's how you can watch nothing personal with David Sampson on a YouTube channel. If you have a projector, there used to be a slide projector. No one has slides anymore. I just found old pictures that have, I was given to them. I was given them actually. The way they used to come is pictures came in slides and then you'd have to drop it off at a store, get them developed and you'd get back the slides and you could put slides in a projector. But projector in sports is someone who projects a season or a game. A prognosticator would be another word for it. Projections are something that all fans look for. They get super excited. What's our team's projection? You've got a 77% chance of winning your division, a 52% chance of winning the pennant, a 17% chance of winning the World Series. We project that you will win 100 games. Unfortunately, we're sorry to tell you that we're selling tickets to games where it has been projected that we are going to lose. Don't worry. The projections don't matter we think we're going to win today. In the front office, we would get the study because it would be given to us by our analytics guys. The projections for the season that would be done by different companies, different services. Everyone does that. Here's what they do, just so you know. I don't know if you're aware of this, but close your eyes, even if you're watching me. Just close them with me close them. The 2021 baseball season has already been played millions of times. Hello? What? What What day is it? Check it. I'm checking. Wednesday, February 10th, 2021. It can't be that the season's already been played, but it has. Every single game has been played. Now, I don't even know when I was running a team who the hell was starting game four? Forget game 20. I didn't know who we were going to trade at the deadline or acquire at the deadline. I didn't know who was going to be injured or not injured. But every game this season has already been played. I'm not trying 
to sully the reputation of those who write the code of the projections and do the simulations. I would just like to explain to you as a front office, we would take those projections and we would use them as toilet paper. Because here's what we did when we did projections. We didn't play the season out once, 10 times, 50 times, 100, 1,000, a million. What we did is we looked at the schedule. We put together our rotation. We then put together our starting pitching depth because you have to have 10, 11, or 12 starters. So we put them down in order. We then put down our position player depth. We had a piece of paper that was very clear about service time, about number of options. We knew exactly what the incentives were for each player, each level of incentives, innings pitched, games finished, all of it. And what we did is we said to ourselves, what kind of team do we have? And we took our anti-delusion pills. And by taking the anti-delusion pills, you are able to look at your team realistically, not talk to the owner about it. This is the baseball people a very small group of people. And we go through strength of schedule, who our interleague divisional play is against, when are the road trips, how long are the road trips, what players are on other teams, because we kept a list of every other team's depth chart, projected rotation, projected lineup. And we went through and estimated in our mind where we thought our team was and what we thought we need. And then what we would do is put certain players on the team and other players off. And this is going on through the whole offseason. If we sign Wei Yin Chen, what impact will it have for us? Well, we then look at our starting pitching depth. We look at our strength of schedule. We look at what kind of pitcher Wei Yin Chen is because we have him scouted. We look at the opponents we're playing, what kind of ballparks they play in, where we're going to be on the road, what our home park plays like, what sort of the park adjusted factors would be for that type of player. And we say Wei Yin Chen will be worth for us an extra one and a half wins. And then we calculate the amount of money that we'd have to pay him. And we say, man, that's a crappy idea. <laughs> and then, of course, we do it. We then would look at other players and look at what you would call wins above replacement. What we would call is what is the cost per win? What is the number of wins that we think this player brings to us? And it is the rare player that makes a big enough difference to warrant getting him and having to get him. But it is the combination of players and depth that you have and then luck and health and surprise performance and no regression from previous season. You put that all together and that's my simulation. That's my projection. I want to be very clear, though, that we used analytics with the Marlins. We built up our analytics department. We used it a lot in scouting. We used it a lot for advanced scouting on the major league side, for scouting on the amateur side. We used it a lot for defensive positioning. 
what we did not use analytics for and whether other teams are doing it now, I could tell you some are, I'd say five out of 30. We did not use analytics to dictate player signings, player trades. We did use analytics to help with making the lineup. We did use analytics to help with figuring out sort of whether or not a player needed rest, though I would ignore that. Just take a damn amphetamine and get on the field. That's what we used to say back in the old days. You can't do that anymore because you get banged. Violate protocols. So projections came out yesterday because the season finished. And I wanted to just tell you, for all of you listening in Los Angeles, congratulations. You're the best team in baseball. You're going to win 102.9 games. Don't worry, Yankees. You're not far behind. You're going to win 97.4. You don't even have to go to a game. You don't have to watch a game. Now, I don't get how to win 0.4 games. I really don't. But maybe this year in the new post-COVID, post-vaccine, we're going to get sort of the the Jamie Foxx superpower from Project Power, and we're going to be able to win 0.4 tenths of a game. The Mets had a heck of an offseason bringing in Trevor Bauer, George Springer, JT Realamuto, and trading for Carlos Carrasco and Francisco Lindor. Combined with Noah Syndergaard coming back in the middle of June, the Mets are projected to win 95.5 games. If they hadn't traded Steve Matz, it would have been 95.7 games. What about you, White Sox? You despondent? You must be right, because you're not projected to be good at all. The Braves are not projected to be good, maybe win middle 80s. I think the Braves are going to win the AL, the NL East. So let's go through some specifics and give you the division winners in these projection scenarios. The Dodgers are winning the NL West. The Yankees are winning the AL East. The Mets are winning the NL East. The Twins are winning the AL Central. Houston is winning the AL West. Milwaukee is winning the NL Central. That's six teams, six divisions. Dodgers, Mets, Brewers, Twins, Yankees, Astros. Six teams. How are my Marlins going to do? 68 wins, last place. What about Colorado? You traded Arenado and that's it. Now, what I loved about these projections is the Arenado trade came halfway through the projections. So the first five million seasons that the Rockies played, they had Arenado. The second five million seasons they played, they had traded Arenado, and it all came out to 101.7 losses. I'd hate to think they were going to lose 102. The other team losing over a hundo is that great team at PNC Park, the Pittsburgh Pirates. So here's the fact. Two teams are supposed to lose 100 games. One team is supposed to win 100 games. That's a projection. Then there are six divisional winner projections. That is nine total projections. I mean, they've got projections for every team, but we're just talking about nine. Wait to see is when I tell you, pay attention, wait to see, because the projection people don't go back to day one. They keep changing. 
like when you clinch a playoff spot, your chances of clinching a playoff spot are 100.0. Congratulations. When you get eliminated, your chances of making the playoffs are projected to be Blutarski's GPA. 0.00. Wait to see is when I say something's going to happen and then Coca keeps track and then we revisit it because there is no doubt that I refuse to be an ordinary windbag. I'd rather be extraordinary. So write down these nine projections. Dodgers, Yankees, Mets, Twins, Houston, Milwaukee, six division winners. Dodgers over 100, Pirates under 100, Pirate and Colorado. Let me say number eight and nine again. Pirates over 100 losses, Colorado over 100 losses and Dodgers over 100 wins. Nine projections. Wait to see. The over-under, in my view, as an 18-year executive who's paid attention to all of these things, my over-under is six of these nine will come true. And here's the wait to see, folks. It's not a pick of the day. There's no market for it. My wait to see, take the under. Out of the nine things I gave you, under six of them will happen, and we will revisit this at the end of the 2021 Major League Baseball season. In review, wait to see. The Dodgers will win more than 100 games. The Pirates and Rockies will lose more than 100 games. The Dodgers, Mets, and Brewers are your National League division winners. The Yankees, Twins, and Astros are your American League division winners. Wait to see. Six over under. We're going under. I got worked up yesterday. I'm having a thing with death. I've talked about it on nothing personal. I'm feeling my mortality. I may be having some sort of existential crisis. I didn't know what that was until I had it. I had heard about it. I'd read about it. I had seen it. I'd listened to people talk about it. It's one of those things where you're going through something. You don't want to label it until you get down in the rabbit hole at about 2 a.m., having woken up from your full night's sleep. And you go into the rabbit hole of the interweb, and a hole it is. You go from one website to another, from one article to another. Your eyes get a little tired, so you keep your glasses on. You close your eyes for a bit. And all of a sudden, you know, on Nothing Personal, we've talked about what legal research is, right? Legal research is when you do enough research that you keep getting the same cases mentioned to you that would be the holding and would help dictate and inform for you what the holding of your case is going to be. The holding of a legal case is what the rule is. What, the, what, what, what are we learning from this case? So I learned that an existential crisis is nothing to be scared of. As a matter of fact, it can be embraced. How it's manifesting itself with me has to do with mortality. It has to do with the desire to disappear, be free, and to just figure out what I'm doing as I enter my back nine. It's strange when you tee off on the back nine, right? I'm not a golfer. This is, again, from being on the interweb and speaking to other people who golf. The whole world's in front of you, but you know you can't erase the first nine. And if you already are so far over par, you're going to have a hard time saving the round. Or if you had a great first nine, you're thinking, hey, I'm on the back nine. I got a chance for a career best, a personal best. I hope I don't screw it up. 
I'll leave it to you to decide where you think my head is as I enter the back nine. We lost two people this week. It used to be that deaths came in threes. Have you ever heard that? The power of three. Now it just feels like every day we're losing someone new, someone who was a part of my life, either tangentially, either by, either personally, professionally. I got annoyed yesterday and had an argument with Coca pregame. You know, we, we, here's how we do nothing personal. For those of you new to nothing personal, we work on the show the, throughout the day. We have a conversation at night either in person, either on the phone, via text, back and forth with different ideas, put together an outline of what the show will be. It is not scripted. It is not prepared. We have an idea of what we're going to talk about and an idea of how long we're going to talk about it. Then wake up the next morning, the day of the show, and we have another call and another Zoom where we go through and we finalize the show and then we start. We give you 45 minutes every day. You download, you subscribe, you tell your friends, and I do appreciate you. And we just release it. No editing, no nothing. One of the things we talked about today is that I was upset that Marty Schottenheimer had passed away because I respected him so much as a coach. I didn't know him. I just knew how successful he was as the seventh all-time winningest head coach. I remember him very well from his days with the Chiefs his days with the Browns, the great rivalry between the Browns and the Bengals, the famous Sam Weish. This is not Cleveland. Some great playoff games. Had a chance to talk to Bernie Kosar, who was the father of a friend of one of my children, and got to talk about Marty Schottenheimer a lot because I was so interested in him as a coach. I have no idea why, but I was. The Washington Post released an obituary, a subject of which I've become familiar of late, too familiar. And the headline in the obituary was Marty Schottenheimer, NFL head coach whose teams wilted in playoffs, dies at 77. Number one, 77 is way too young to die. Number two, that's what you're going to put in the headline? And I was more angry than Coco was. I just was. You just, there's no reason to have a headline I, you know, I was thinking, what is my headline going to be, Coca? David Sampson, 104, architect of the worst public-private partnership in Major League Baseball history, who happened to get financing for the last time in history, all the way back in 2009, dies at 102. Maybe it's David Sampson, 102, comma, World Series champion. David Sampson, 102, comma, of nothing personal and also architect of one of the great swindles of all time, comma. I'm still writing my legacy, Coca, and so are you, and so are we together. Rest in peace, Marty. To me, your teams didn't wilt. The other death that happened that I want to mention is someone named Pedro Gomez, and this one hit me. I, I've known Pedro Gomez. He's a reporter, was a reporter for ESPN. He died at 58. I met him very early in my career. He was a Miamian, a Cuban, longtime Floridian, loved going to Marlins games. I'd seen him at Marlins games a lot. I saw him on the road a lot. He covered Barry Bonds. He was responsible basically every day to report on Barry Bonds during his home run chase of Hank Aaron. He would literally be on 
Sports Center every single day. When Barry Bonds became a coach of the Marlins, I got to speak to Pedro many times about Bonds, about what that was like, sort of the surreal nature of it. There was no one nicer in the business than Pedro. And I don't say that lightly because after someone dies, generally, unless you're the Washington Post, you tend to say only nice things about people. Even if they're not true, or even if you don't know whether they were true, you read them and you assume they're true, but people who know them may say it's not true. It could be true. It's kind of true. It's somewhat true. Well, what you're reading about Pedro is unanimous in his demeanor, in his outlook of life on life, in his professionalism, in his love of family, in his desire to get a story right versus getting it first, his desire to dig deep into a story, to make his audience understand all sides of the story. I spent hours at the ballpark and on the phone with Pedro Gomez talking about bonds, talking about baseball in general, because boy, did he love it. And then out of nowhere, at 58 years old, 58. I don't know how it happens. Carpe diem, folks. Sagupin Angara. I have it on my left leg. That is Filipino, where I filmed Survivor, for Carpe Diem or Seize the Day. Please, Sagupin Angara. We'll be right back to review a movie, and we are going to talk about something that's going on in the NFL that is literally driving me up a wall. <laughs> it's not literally, obviously. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. This is David Sampson. Thank you for following our show and for making it what it is. We appreciate you more than you know. I get to watch a movie every day. I've been watching a movie every day for so long I can't remember. At least let me think about this. I didn't do it in high school, but starting in college. So I'm going to say since 1986. So 35 years, basically, I've been watching some sort of movie every day, sometimes a new movie, sometimes an old movie again that I just miss. I did a, uh, a 2 a.m. Elizabethtown the other night, one of my favorite, my favorite Cameron Crowe movie, a movie that is panned and it shouldn't be an absolutely terrific movie. But I love getting to review on Nothing Personal and trying to find nuggets and, and movies for you to watch that can entertain you or educate you because that is the theme of Nothing Personal. We want to be entertaining. We want to be educational. We want to give you the ability to make choices for yourself with more information on topics that no one else is going to talk about. And if they do, they're going to talk about it with no actual experience, which we have. I watched a movie with Rafe Fiennes 
and Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan is having quite a year in the movies. We reviewed Promises of a Young Woman. She was nominated. The movie was nominated. She's in a movie that just came out of Netflix called The Dig with Rafe Fiennes, spelled Ralph, but it's Rafe Fiennes, whose brother Joe was in Shakespeare in Love, one of my other favorite movies, Academy Award winners, that also was underappreciated. If you don't know Shakespeare and you don't know all the unbelievably brilliant moments in that movie that are all related to Shakespeare, I can get it. And I'm not being a Shakespearean snob. I'm just saying it's like me watching a movie about Britney Spears and not knowing anything about Britney and therefore not getting half the stuff. That's just how it goes. This movie has Joe Fine's brother in it, Ray Fine's. If you've never seen him in a movie, go watch The English Patient right now with Kristen Scott Thomas, who you may know from Four Weddings and a Funeral. You may know her from the movie with uh, Harrison Ford. Mm, darn it, Coco. What's the movie with Kristen Scott Thomas and Harrison Ford where their spouses get into a plane crash and they were together on the plane and they then get together? Ugh. It's not regarding Henry because that's totally different. I can't remember it. Anyway, Coca doesn't matter. Coca, are you there? He's gone. Hello? This is the part of the show. Random hearts. Thank you, Coca. I don't understand why since the pandemic, Coca, who used to sit in this huge control room and manage like 40 different devices, he's now in his house with a soundboard, three computers, and an earpiece, and every once in a while, I've got to wake him up. Random hearts. The name of the movie is called The Dig. It's about an excavation that took place in England. It's called the Sutton Who Excavation, the greatest find of all time. They found a ship from the Anglo-Saxon days. It was in a cemetery. And it is a movie about what happens when an excavator, played by Ray Fiennes, starts fighting with actual archaeologists, how a woman on her private property decides what to do when her property becomes really the most important excavation archaeological site of all time. It is beautiful. It is sad. It is interesting. It will cause you to read about the Sutton Who excavation and wish that the last time you were at the British Museum, you had paid attention and had spent the 10 pounds to get a damn guide. Because I must have walked by it every time I was in the British Museum. I had never heard of Sutton Who. I thought Sutton Who was WHO. I thought it was a street just east of East End Avenue. Turns out it's an entire history that I learned watching The Dig. Uh, is it worth it? You're damn right it is. Just to appreciate Ray Fiennes and Carrie Mulligan, just to appreciate history, and just to say thank you, that people are still making movies where there's a chance you can be entertained and learn something. It's called The Dig. All right, it's time to talk about something that has been a, uh, a source of... Great conversation on Twitter at David P. Sampson. It's been the source of great back and forth on all of the shows, all of the talk shows, all of the podcasts. And I've got a angle that I'd like to discuss with you on this. The title of this segment is quarterbacks for trade, quarterbacks for trade, 
who's got a quarterback for trade? Is that okay? You okay with that title? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I never even thought that could be a segment because quarterbacks don't get traded. Once in a while, you get a Drew Brees, an Eli Manning, a John Elway, and they did it via the draft. The latter two, Brees was just traded. Once in a while, you get a backup quarterback traded who becomes a first-line quarterback like a Nick Foles, let's say. But this year, there's something going on that we need to talk about. Carson Wentz, who has four years left on that extension he signed after Nick Foles got the Eagles a Super Bowl win in 2018. Four years left, maybe traded. Matthew Stafford of the Detroit Lions traded and got quite a haul from the Los Angeles Rams and Jared Goff, by the way. Deshaun Watson, five years left, demanding a trade. Sam Darnold of the Jets, one year left in his rookie deal. Fifth year option after that. He may be traded. And then just yesterday, Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson with three years and over a buck left on his deal. Let me get it. I wrote it down because I was just staggered by it. He signed a four-year, $140 million extension. He has three years left on his deal in Seattle. If the Seahawks trade him before June 1st, they will have $39 million of dead cap money. What that means is that you're paying $39 million, not of cash, but you cannot use that money to sign any other players and pay cash to those other players. Dead cap money. Russell Wilson is frustrated. Deshaun Watson is frustrated. Carson Wentz is frustrated. Russell Wentz said, I'm frustrated about getting hit too much. I'm frustrated with that part of it. At the end of the day, you want to win. They went 12 and four. Carson Wentz frustrated he's not playing enough. Sean Watson frustrated he didn't get a say in who's going to be his coach and general manager and that his best wide receiver Hopkins was traded away. Russell Wilson said, get me a better offensive line and I want say. I want to be involved in player transactions and player personnel moves. I have an idea for all of you quarterbacks out there because obviously learning the playbook has gotten way too easy. What's the name of that quarterback who didn't take time? He played for the Washington football skins and uh, he was let go. Dwayne Haskins. Remember him? He wasn't studying his playbook enough. He was going to parties and clubs and blah, blah, blah. Well, it turns out that many of these quarterbacks have plenty of time on their hands because not only can they learn the playbook and run the offense and make audibles by yelling, Omaha, 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 over there, point over to the right, point to the left, cover that guy. Who's got 22? I got 22. We're going to go two, four, gap, wide, left, now. Hold on, let me look at my wrist. What? I can't hear you. I'm holding my earpiece. What? I got it. They can do all that. Here's what they also can do. They can be the GM. I've got the perfect plan for the Seattle Seahawks. Name Russell Wilson, your GM. I've got the perfect plan for the Houston Texans. Name, name Watson. 
your GM. I know what to do when any player gets frustrated and wants to say, LeBron James, you're upset, no problem. We're going to name you the GM because you act like it anyway. Kyrie Irving, you're the coach and the GM of the Nets. Sorry, Sean. Sorry, Steve. That's Marks and Nash for those not playing at home. Didn't used to be this way, folks. And I'd like to understand what's changed. What has given players the view in their mind that they are empowered to the point where they can actually go public and say what they want to do and what players they want on the team and what the team needs to do? What do you think? GMs and presidents don't know what we're doing? Just because we lose doesn't mean we don't know what we're doing because sometimes we win. I'd like to see these players learn all about the salary cap in the NFL. And I'd like to give a player a chance. If I were an owner of an NFL team in Seattle, I'm just thinking to myself, Coca, I think Paul Allen, who recently passed away, owns the Seahawks. And I don't know who he left it to. And I don't know if the team is for sale. I cannot recall right now. But whoever the owner is of the Seahawks, I think that's an age thing for me. I used to know every owner and every head coach in all the sports. And I just don't, I don't anymore. I think that, I think the brain has a total capacity, not limitless like Bradley Cooper would make you feel, but there's a total capacity, not like Scarlett Johansson and Lucy would make you feel. But I think there's a limit of things you know, and as you get older, you hit that limit, and for everything you learn, you forget something else. Someone once taught me that, and I've tried to think of what it is that I've learned in a particular day because I still learn every day because I still read and watch things and I want to learn every day. So I always wonder what is the thing I'm going to forget? And then I forget that I'm even thinking about what I'm going to forget. So it's something that I never knew and I'll never know. So here's what Jody Allen should do. That's Paul Allen's sister who owns the Seahawks. Thank you, Coca. Name Russell Wilson. Do it. Give him the responsibility. The reason why we never gave our players that power now, we would pay attention to what players would say, some of us more than others. Hey, we really need more pitching. You don't say, man, our bullpen sucks. Really? Man, I'm getting hit because our offensive line is below par. I didn't notice that. That's amazing. From where I sit in my suite, it doesn't look like you're getting hit. We don't really have a deep enough bench. We need some better outside shooters. Really? We need Jim Paxson or Steve Kerr or Del Curry? I had no idea. It didn't even occur to me because I'm not even watching. I don't even go to the games. What do I know? To me, it's like fantasy. I set up the team and then I go to dinner and I check how many points I have before dessert comes. Give me a break. I can't do what you do and you can't do what I do. And that's what makes the world go round. If you want to do what I do, come into my office and learn with me. If I want to do what you do, I'll grow six inches. I'll get some skills. I'll come downstairs and we'll have a catch and see how quickly my hand hurts. By the way, I've had catches with players. It is absolutely scary how fast they throw the ball during just the course of a regular catch. It's just 
scary. Have you ever been in the outfield and shagged a fly ball that's hit in BP by a major league player? Let me just tell you that when my son wanted to be a shagger during the home run derby, during the All-Star game of 2017, and I was lucky enough to make that happen because of the privilege I have and because of the connections, and he did it, I was thinking to myself, and he plays baseball, I was thinking, Jesus, please don't get hit in the head. Please, no doinks, no doinks, no doinks. I can't be a player. They can't be an executive right now. No one can be both. So what's going to happen, Coca? All of a sudden, all these quarterbacks are going to change. There's going to be seven first-round draft picks for Watson. Russell Wilson, you think the Seahawks are going to take on $39 million of dead cap money? No chance. You think all of a sudden the Seahawks are going to get a better offensive line because he's tired of being hit over the course of his long career? Every quarterback's tired of being hit. As you get older, it just hurts more. Mark my words. It's not a wait to see. It's not a pick of the day. It's nothing. Russell Wilson's not getting traded. Deshaun Watson's not getting traded, and that was an official wait to see. The Stafford trade was really a one-off for me because the unbelievable haul that they got from the Rams is just very interesting to me. And I don't know how that can work out for a team. You need first-round picks. Now, people say the Rams have not had first-round picks in like eight years, and for the next eight years, and who cares? They've been great. That catches up with you. Trust me, from a guy who would trade away picks and not sign picks and not worry about minor league and player development, trust me, it's the wrong move. Quarterbacks for trade. Who wants a quarterback? Do you guys believe me yet? Do you believe me about the Utah Jazz? Did you do it? Hey, Shane, are we winners? What about you, Gramps? We had the Jazz minus five and a half over the Celtics on the nothing personal pick of the day. We have gone to 17 and 15. Were you worried when they were down in the first half? I wasn't. The Jazz are a really good team. As in, hey, Coca, did you check the standings of the Jazz still the best team in basketball? Do they still have the best record in all basketball? I think they do. And we talked about Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and that the Celtics are a little overrated under Danny Ainge, the executive. Well, the Jazz covered the five and a half. Go Jazz. We're 17 and 15. We got a very interesting game to watch tonight. I can't wait. Derek Rose and the Chicago Bulls plays Anthony Davis and the New Orleans Pelicans. That's a big game. I studied the rosters very carefully. I think that Steve Kerr is healthy. I think so is Stacy Knight. Stacy King, not Stacy Knight. I'm thinking of Toby Knight. Stacy King is healthy. I believe that the Pelicans should not be favored by three over the Bulls. Anthony Davis is a far better player than Derrick Rose. Pelicans, three over the Bulls. I got you covered. That's the nothing personal pick of the day. All right, something else was asked of me. We do a very cool segment. I think it's cool. Do you think it's cool? I hope you're still listening. What's the retention rate, Coco? Where are we? Are we still in the 90s? I don't get that. It's a 45-minute show. I'm, but I'm actually semi-kidding in that. I love you for allocating so much time. I hope you feel it's worthy. All right, Coca, how are we ending this show? You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. If anyone knows my rotation and you can count 
Guess what today is? Hold on. Let me look. I'm looking. If you're watching this, you can see me looking. Hold on. I'm pulling back from the camera, not the microphone, because I don't want any audio issues. I'm going to raise my left leg, which, by the way, is tighter than, uh, yeah. There it is. Half-baked socks are on. If you're keeping track, you know how often I wear the half-baked socks. Thank you to my sister, Nancy, for buying me the half-baked socks. Half-baked is a movie. In the movie, people want to talk to Samson. So here's your question. You get on Twitter, David P. Samson, and you ask a question. I try to get to as many as I can. There's this thing now on Twitter where if you do at David P. Samson to start, somehow it like gets even up in my mentions. I try to answer as many as I can. Here was a question. It starts with a statement. I just read about all the unused promo items in Major League Baseball. Did you ever have a giveaway for a player who was traded? Hmm. I love that question. I resemble that question. All right, what's the backstory? Simple backstory. The way promotions work in baseball is the following. We have a schedule that comes out in August, in normal years, in August of the previous season. So in August of 2020, the 2021 schedule would come out. We're aware of the schedule even before because the first draft comes out even earlier but it's finalized in August. We then sit down with our ticket salespeople and our corporate salespeople and our promotions people and marketing people. And we look at the schedule and we come up with our giveaway days, what will be our top tier games, our bottom tier games, the weekends where we can use dynamic pricing and figure out how to charge the most money we can so you choose to come to a game versus choosing not to come to a game. That's the concept of price elasticity, by the way. At what point do you say, oh, that price of entry is a little too high. I'm going to wait for it to go down. So you come up with a promotional schedule. And then you get a presentation. The marketing people make a presentation to me. And the presentation has to do with here are the giveaways that we want to do. The corporate department says we've got companies where we have deals and part of their deals includes that they get a giveaway. So that's why your bobbleheads have a company name on them because the company gets a sign, they get a suite, they get season tickets and they get one giveaway. So when you get a bobblehead that has the name of the company, you know that's part of a corporate sponsor deal. So you get this, you make this entire schedule and then you order the items because they're all made not in the United States and they all get shipped by cargo along with Patrick Dempsey's monkey and they get to you in time to then be stored. When you build the stadium, you have to have a storage room because you get a lot of things sent to you that have to be stored and then they get given away. So in 2019, pre-COVID, here's what happened. Everyone makes their promotional giveaway list. They release it to the public. The public then buys tickets because they want to come to a game that has that specific promotion, whether they collect bobbleheads or candles or calendars. By the way, quick side note, you know, we did a calendar. I don't know, I don't think I've ever told you this. Here's how we did our calendars. We would give away a calendar every year. Do you want a hint as to which players are not going to be traded? Then go to your calendar giveaways and go to the end of the year. 
If you want a hint as to who is going to be traded, go to the calendar and go to the beginning of the year. Because the calendar marketing people would say, hey, we're doing a calendar. Who should we put in what month? And guess what? We were in charge of that. So I would sit down with the baseball people. We'd go through our roster and we'd say, all right, who's likely to be traded at the trade deadline? Who's likely to be traded before the end of the season? Who's likely to not make the team? Who's likely to be an off-season trade because we can't afford it on the payroll? The calendars that we would do would be 12-month calendars. We made sure that anyone in the April, May, June, July, August, September months were players who were guaranteed to be on the team during those months. The players who we knew were young and not going to be traded or released would go in the postseason months, October, November, December, as people were looking at the calendar, getting excited for the next season. The players who were on the team during the winter, but we thought would not be on the team during the summer, would go in the early months, January, February, March. There's nothing worse than trading a player and then having your calendar that you gave to 25,000 people, they open their calendar, they're looking at what games to go to, and they look lovingly and longingly at the photo and say, ah, Christ, that guy's not even a Marlin anymore. That's how we do the calendar. What happens when you have a bobblehead and you trade the player before the bobblehead happens because something changed? It happened to us. You know what we did with the Ryan Dempster bobbleheads? We gave them away. Yeah, we got a lot of attention for that. None of it great. But we had them. What are we going to do? Right now, every single giveaway from 2020 is sitting in the home stadiums of the teams. And those teams have a problem. The Pittsburgh Pirates have a Trevor Williams bobblehead, a Josh Bell bobblehead. Those guys are on the Cubs and Nationals. Texas. Opening the new stadium, huge giveaways with Mike Miner, Lance Lynn, Corey Kluber, Shinsu Chu, and Elvis Andrews. Uh-oh, all five are gone because season number one went worse for the Rangers than our season number one in 2012 went for the Marlins. So here's what they're going to do. They're going to give them to charity, and they're going to give them to the player. We sent Julian Tavares 10 boxes of his own bobbleheads. He would have taken more. It's not as uncommon as you think. There are plenty of people who want to get these bobbleheads and plenty of people who don't care that they've changed teams. Pittsburgh will take all the bobbleheads, so will Texas, and they will find a way to do right by those bobbleheads. Because at the end of the day, bobbleheads make you smile, don't they? You put them in a museum, you build the museum, and you wait for Jeter to get rid of it. That's what you do with unused promotional giveaways but it is very stressful making that list of promotional days and then matching players to that list. You got to keep track of how many days each player has because they pay attention. You got to pay attention to where they appear in the calendar because they pay attention. You got to pay attention to who is the sponsor for their bobblehead and how the bobblehead looks, whether or not it's a small bobblehead, a tall bobblehead, whether or not it's a crappy giveaway or a good giveaway. What part of the season is it? What team is it against? You pay attention to all of that. God, is it a pain in the neck when it comes to promotions and giveaways and dealing with players and fans, et cetera. (sighs) It's definitely just business. Relax, guys. This is nothing personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com